You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, man, would the Bucks and Suns like a redo on those Game 7s? We might have to change the cliche from the best two words in team sports to something else after what we saw this weekend. An absolutely hideous exit for both of those teams. And the old hold my beer gets overused. But the Suns did say to the Bucks, you thought that was a disgusting way to end your season Hold my beer. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And it is literally impossible to talk about what we saw yesterday without making it straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless because only the straightest of talk to talk about hideous, horrendous, vomit-inducing, pathetic absolutely soul-crushing efforts and I will give the Bucks a little pass fits because it reminded me of looking back at the years before Milwaukee finally got a title and what it looked like when Giannis didn't quite have enough help I got nothing for the Suns yeah well and the Suns had all the expectations I, I will go back to what you and I said not that long ago when it was two nothing Phoenix was up, and it just felt like, you know what, when are we going to have a real conversation about what Dallas isn't putting Mm -hmm. around Luka and how much they're wasting a generational Mm -hmm. talent? And then all of a sudden, I just watched the Suns melt away. And there are times where you can excuse it. I think if you look at Memphis, for example, losing to Golden State, you can still find the yellow brick road that leads to positivity of what's in the future for that franchise. If you're the Suns, you're coming off a run to the NBA Finals. You're coming off a absolutely a season of greatness that led to such high expectations that I think are fair expectations. Now you got to look in the mirror and say, not only did we just get our butts beat, we got our butts beat in the Game 7 by a team that, frankly, on paper, it looks like we're better than. I, I am stunned to see the Suns lay that sort of an egg in such a key moment. Yeah, and I'm never going to be one that accuses a team of tanking or not trying. I know how much that meant to everyone involved, and that's why it's all the more stunning to see at least Chris Paul is old, right? At least Chris (laughs) Paul turned 37 mid-series and appeared to age 11 years instead of one. Devin Booker, I got nothing for you. I got nothing for Devin Booker on that game. DeAndre Ayton, an incredible disappointment. And all of this then leads to... If you wanted to dunk on the Suns, now's the time. And guess who wanted to dunk on the Suns? Patrick Beverly. Oh, how convenient. ESPN booked him for every single show on our air today. (laughs) Let's take a listen to some of what Pat Bev had to say, because you know if he ain't running on the court, his mouth will be running. Here's what he said on first take about how nobody was afraid of the team that had the best record in the league. You could see it in their eyes. They were scared. It ain't about Luka taking their soul. They knew starting the game what was going to happen. He's done it before. They watch, trust me. They have iPhone. They have Instagram. They see the numbers of Luka Doncic averaging 39. They hear me saying, man, he did it to me. He did it to me. Kawhi and Paul George. I'm damn sure he's going to do it to them. They know that. Boy, scared of Luka. Ain't nobody afraid of anybody over there in Phoenix, man. Everybody in the league knows that, bro. Like, it's just that y'all don't know that because y'all not in the locker room. No one's afraid of Phoenix. We wanted them. We wanted, no one's afraid of Phoenix. I I talked to some teammates, I ain't gonna say who, because I'm gonna say who, forget it. I talked to Paul George last night, man. Pat, ain't nobody scared of them. But you face Dallas, you ain't scared of Dallas, but man, you. You scared Luka. Hey, man, you gotta get your your game right when you play Luka. I'm just being honest. 
Okay, just being honest, it takes a flamethrower to the whole team. Uh, but just in case you weren't sure who the biggest beef was with and who he most wanted to dunk on, he uh, was on KJ and Max talking specifically about Chris Paul. Here's how he sums up Chris Paul's legacy, and I'll tell you right now, I'm pretty sure he's just calling him a compiler. Person who's played in the NBA a long time and was able to get the keys to the car at a very young age, and due to that, is able to have the numbers he's able to have. Just because he was given the keys to the car. At an early age. And Can you go into that a little bit more? Give me the keys when I'm, I don't know, 18, 19. I don't know when he got drafted, 19, 20. 20 years, up to, what, 37 at 17 years? You better have some numbers. Mm-hmm. So but, you're saying it was given to him? You're, I didn't say it was given. I, it's, it's completely earned. But when you get, when you get the keys to, 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 to the Lamborghini at a young age, I mean, you go put some miles on it. Mm. Fitz, is that fair to call him a compiler, a guy no. with the kind of stats that we know Chris Paul has put up over the course of his career, a guy who, of course, has had some pretty big failures at high levels uh, deep into playoffs. and But, I mean, man, that's that's rough. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things here. Number one, Patrick Beverly coming in saying, I'm just being honest. Well, you can be honest and still be aware <laughs> of the way you're communicating. I mean, that that there's an honest way. Anybody that's ever been in a relationship in their entire life knows that if your significant other walks in and something that's not particularly flattering, you're probably not going to look at him and say, wow, that dress makes you look really fat. Like, that might be honest, but that's not the way to say it. Like, you can say things with a level of, of, of courtesy to whatever's happening. And that Patrick Beverly obviously chose not to do that. But when you look at Chris Paul's career, to call him a compiler is essentially belittling a long-term history of success. Now, I understand that that history of success does not include a championship But also, I don't think that we have to make everything in every sport about either you won a championship or you sucked. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a middle ground here. And to me, Chris Paul can be great and and not have to be a compiler, even though he doesn't have a championship. I just want to point out a couple things that we've forgotten since we were all really excited about Chris Paul last season. He is the first player in NBA history to be part of four teams to set a franchise record for wins in a season. Every team that he has joined has upped their wins per season by a significant amount after he arrived. He is the guy that joins a team and makes them better. Now, there's a ceiling to that, and we've witnessed that, but, man, this guy has been an addition to each of the teams that he's joined that has propelled them into a completely different stratosphere than they were before he arrived. And you can nitpick some of the things that he's done deep, and that that missing championship is a huge part of it but repeatedly leading a team to franchise record wins in the regular season and maybe petering out down the stretch because of age is a very different thing than simply being a compiler. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. So Matt Barnes, ESPN NBA analyst, was on NBA Today and had witnessed the Pat Bev path of destruction over the course of the morning shows and had a little something to say about it. But what I want to touch on real quick, RJ, is the disrespect I saw from Pat Beverly earlier today. You know, as, as, as reporters, you know, as part of the media, we have a job to be critical. But I think there's a, a thin line between being critical and disrespecting. And I feel like what Pat Beverly did today to Chris Paul was completely disrespectful and out of the line. And Pat Beverly's talking like he's that guy. You're not that guy. Plain and simple. Chris Paul played terrible this year, and his numbers are still better than your career numbers have ever been. So I just think you have to understand, Chris is a 12-time All-Star. He played terrible. First time, all defense nine times, seven times first team all defense. He'll be a Hall of Famer. Pat Bev and I were similar type role players. They don't talk about us when we go. They're going to talk about CP3 when he's done. And I just think the disrespect we saw earlier today on the ESPN show need to be checked because he was way out of pocket. 
Mm. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of people felt that, and there were some differing opinions fit. I saw people say, this is embarrassing for the league and for Pat Bev to have him on and do this across the network all day. And then I saw people say, this is exactly what we need to see. This is how players talk. This is how they interact with each other and how they feel about each other, and we want that honesty. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm just glad it's not my guys that are getting dogged. Yeah, and again, I think there's honest ways to communicate what you think about people. I don't think that if you're Pat Bev, part of what everybody loves is the way that he mm-hmm. comes out and directly says what's on his mind. But also, I think if you're going to say what's on your mind, then you open yourself to the same level For of critique sure. that you're giving anybody else. And that's that's new media. Matt Barnes is going to be on with us a little later in the show. We'll be sure to ask him how he felt about what Pat Bev had to say this morning, his thoughts on the series. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, Game 7s have not disappointed on the ice. We're going to break down the Stanley Cup playoffs in a wild start next with an expert, Spain and Fitz. All right, so we didn't get what we wanted out of the NBA Game 7s last night. A couple beatdowns that really uh, put a damper on our expectations. But it has been almost all Game 7s on the ice. This oh, opening round of the NHL playoffs has been insanity. And we got some more craziness last night. An expert's going to come on, talk to us about what's going down. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And the woman who just arrived home to Chicago to a bunch of dead plants because she's been on the road too long covering hockey, Emily Kaplan, joins us now. What's up, Emily? Not much. I was going to yell at you for blowing up my spot, Sarah, but I did put that publicly on my Instagram. So, yes, I have a terrible plant. <laughs> I haven't been in your home, so uh, that was something that I you don't shared publicly. Plans. They don't deserve me. Uh, we live very close. If you ever need me to pop by, I have 36 indoor plants in my house at this point. So oh, my God. Are you I, serious? Um, it's aggressive. You offer, yeah, and I and I actually know what I'm doing. I've only killed, like, two. So uh, if you need uh. some help, I'm, I'm the plant mother that you're looking for. Um, what did yesterday's Game 7 win tell you about the Rangers that maybe you didn't know before you saw that game? Uh, you just got some swag. Um, you know, like, it's kind of hard to get lost in things. Like, this is one of the best seasons they've had in their 100-plus year history um, when you just look at their wins and loss records. But then there's all these caveats, right? It's like, oh, well, we're counting in overtime wins. Oh, well, like, they didn't really expect much this year because they're still in the rebuild and they're ahead of schedule. But when you watch them in this game against the Peng- uh, series against the Penguins, really, in this game specifically, like, they don't care what the score is. They can be down. They just have this swag and belief in themselves that you see championship teams possess. And I'm not sure if they can go all the way this year because, again, um, you know, we have to look at the big picture. This is a team that is overachieving based off their schedule. But I wouldn't discount them in any series at this point because um, they've got that belief in themselves. They've definitely got the skill, the talent, the work ethic, and also the toughness that it takes to win them this time of year. So, Emily, educate me here because, you know, I love this stat that, that they've pointed out that this becomes the first time in Stanley Cup playoff history that a team is trailing in all three consecutive elimination games that they win. I mean, the Rangers down 3-1 in this series and then down every game where they could have lost and they come back and win the entire series. Is that a sign that the Rangers have that stick to or that they're just particularly lucky right now? No, I think it's a stick to Like, I, you know, I've been between the benches for games this year, and I, I look a lot at body language of teams. And there are certain teams out there, and I'm not going to call them out, but, like, when you see them go down, there's just no heart and there's a lifelessness. And with the Rangers, there's just more of a composure. Like there's never a panic. And I do believe a large part of that does stem from the identity of their coach, Gerard Gallant. Like he's been doing this a long time. He's noted as a player's coach and you see why, because the players all have belief in them and he empowers them. Um, 
But I don't think it's luck at all right now. It's a trend, and it's a very good trend if you're a Rangers fan. Unlike Pat Bev, Emily will not name names after she mm-hmm. says she's not going to name names. <laughs> Emily Kaplan, yeah, ESPN, so NHL, that's right. Co-host of the In the Crease podcast. Maybe she names names there. You'll have to Ooh. listen to find out. Um, quickly, I don't want to belabor this too much because there's other things to get into, but Sidney Crosby says a terrible rule ends up probably being the difference in the game. Is the lost helmet rule, is that call something that they could spend the offseason legitimately feeling aggrieved by? Um, they could stew on it. Um, I, I've read the rule, and I, I do think that the refs follow the rule to the T. Um, I, I don't think that this is something that the NHL necessarily wants to change. It's about head safety. It's about the safety of players. And although it's unfortunate it's happened to them now in two consecutive postseasons, I'm not sure they must have a case. I think if anything is going to be happening back-channeling between coaches in the league this summer, it's all going to be about goaltender interference because the Penguins seem to be the only team that have a problem with this helmet rule. Every coach that has talked to in pregame meetings this postseason has talked about goaltender interference. They don't know what the definition of it is. It's so inconsistent. The onus is on the coaching staff to call something subjective, and then they get penalized for it with a power play if they lose. So that's the conversation I think is going to happen over the offseason. We're talking to ESPN NHL uh, reporter Emily Kaplan, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Emily, I know we'll, we'll look at all of the playoffs here, but over the weekend – Felt like every day we were getting a dozen or so game sevens. Like, it's what, six, five, six series went to seven games. Why? Why has there been so much uh, so much drama in this first round? When will people learn that the hockey playoffs never, never under-deliver? Like, we always <laughs> over-promise and we always over-deliver, yep. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, suddenly people are going to pay attention, but it really, like, Gary Bettman as commissioner is obsessed with parity. Um, P-A-R-I-T-Y, I just want to make that clear, not the other parody. He believes that everyone should have a chance to win every year, and I really do feel that. It, you see, it always comes down to the wire the last day of the season, which teams are in for what seating, and it really feels like more than any other sport, just get into the playoffs in hockey and anything can happen, and we're seeing that manifest right now. It's Emily Kaplan with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, which team has stood out to you the most? When almost everything's going to seven, uh, it feels a little tighter. Is there one that uh, you've looked at and said, okay, this one for sure is standing out? It's got to be the Avalanche. I mean, they were done so quickly in the first round. Their head coach, Jared Bednar, had time to like mow his lawn and take funny selfie videos doing it. <laughs> um, they're just a complete team. Um, they're you know, the trend that we've seen in hockey the last couple of years is teams are incredible regular season teams and then can't figure out how to win in the playoffs. And they go through like two or three years of heartbreak before they finally get over that hump. Like the Blues were that, the Washington Capitals were that, the Lightning were that. And I really feel like the Colorado Avalanche are that. They've had all of these consecutive second round exits. They were hearing it from players on other teams all year. Um, I think they'll get past the second round this year. And I think they've got a real, real good shot of winning it all. Emily, the Panthers get their first series win since 1996. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. Does that give them some sort of momentum moving forward? Oh, it for sure does. Like, everyone in the league um, was so, you know, enamored by the Panthers this season, but they said two things. One, they're winning with just, like, this incredible offense that's just outscoring everyone every night. That doesn't fly in the playoffs. And two, they're like, this is a team that kind of has a psyche issue. Like, they just need to get past the first round, and then they can be cruising. They've shown that they can win with their style. They can play a little bit of defense, but they definitely can put up enough goals. And they got past the first round. And after that, I think that's going to be one of the hardest uh, series they have to win. The Lightning are going to be no easy out. Um, I mean, they're the Lightning. They're the two-time standing 
defending Stanley Cup champions. Um, they, they have that it factor. They've got the grit, the toughness. The big X factor in this, though, is they might be missing Braden Point, uh, who had a pretty nasty injury in Game 7. And so if that's the case, um, the Panthers should do pretty well in the next round. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Emily Kaplan about all the insanity we've seen so far early in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, speaking of the Panthers, they were my pick. It was partly just, uh, you know, really wanting Joe Thornton to get to get the title and, and, and feeling like he had a decent shot on this team. But it's going to be tough for Miami fans and Florida fans to root for them, seeing as they play tomorrow night against the Lightning and the Heat start their series with Miami uh, just an hour and a half later. Same nights, all four games in the series. Incredibly dumb. Who should we yell at for this? <laughs> I don't know. All I know, I mean, we can all yell at whoever we want, but like, we didn't figure out the schedules until last night because there was like a situation where if the Dallas Stars won and the Mavericks won and this building availability for that, and there just seems like every year there are all these logistical challenges. This year, maybe more than other years, so... Can we blame the scheduling gods? I don't know, the concert gods, whatever it is. It, it doesn't seem right, but it's one of those things that I think is out of everyone's hands. Hmm. I don't like it. I don't like it. Four home games <laughs> all in the same night, all in the same city. I mean, that's just not fair. I mean, it's been so long. They need the undivided no. attention of, of all the Florida mans and Florida women's that they can get. Uh, so that they Emily, can stay inside and not do exactly. bath things outside. Right. We need them to stay away from the bath salts, and we need to have alternating nights to keep them <laughs> focused on the TV Oof. instead of that. Uh, now that I've, you know, taken a Pat Bev torch to Florida, and my menchies are going to blow up. Emily, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of your travels. Let me know about those plants if I can help out. Okay. Uh, Sarah, I'd like you over Thursday. Thank you. Okay. Great. Perfect. Oh, good. That's good. Great. There's a schedule now. Uh, and by go. the way, Kudos to us for not uh, taking a torch to Toronto fans. They're still in their fields. So I think it's yeah, better that we just yeah, leave them there. We're going to get to that later in the show, Fitz. Mm-hmm. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, Emily Kaplan. Follow her at, at Emily M. Kaplan on Twitter. She is fantastic at what she does. It's going to take you through the rest of these playoffs uh, with all the insight you're looking for. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. What do your home and auto have in common? They're yours, and Progressive protects them both. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, is there any way to stop Luka Doncic? And is there any way to shut up Pat Bev? And is there a right and wrong way to criticize a player with whom you have beef once you're given a platform on national television? We will get to all of that coming up next. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It was a great regular season for the Suns, but that's not going to mean anything in the context of how we look back on this year for Phoenix as their season is now over after they lose in dramatic but hoping fashion uh, against the Mavericks. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and the NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in Tuesday night, Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Heat hosts the Celtics, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. All right, let's get some expertise on everything we saw over the weekend, and we'll do that from ESPN NBA analyst Matt Barnes joining us on the show. And, Matt, we're going to get to everything that happened over the course of the weekend. But first, obviously, Pat Beverly had plenty to say about what this loss meant for CP3, which uh, led to you having something to say about Chris Paul. This is a little of what you said on NBA Today. Pat Beverly's talking like he's that guy. You're not that guy. Plain and simple. Chris Paul played terrible this year, and his numbers are still better than your career numbers have ever been. All right, Matt, so let's give you the chance to expand a little bit on your thoughts there. What should have been said by Pat Beverly? 
Uh, I'm not never going to say what should have been said, and, and I don't want people to think I dislike Patrick Beverly. I'm a, I'm a fan of him as a player. You know, we have similar styles and similar roles when I played in the league, and he's been good as an analyst, you know, on, on his little tour run. But I just felt like, you know, he crossed the line of disrespect, and I feel like in media there's a lot of that these days. You know, Stephen A. Smith has kind of made a living, and that's my guy, but it's kind of made a living of, of crossing that line of, you know, being critical or, or, or critiquing guys because obviously that's the media's job, but then taking it to that disrespect level. And I feel as players, former players, and, and Pat Bev is a current player, he just needs to have more respect for people. You know, obviously they have something personal going on and, and personal stuff should stay personal. That's not stuff you bring on TV. But, again, I just thought he crossed the line for, for, for someone in Chris Paul who was a 12-time All-Star, nine-time All-Defensive, uh, be a first-bout Hall of Famer. You know, Chris will be the first one to tell you he played like you know what I mean? But at the same time, you you have to keep that in context. And I just felt like he was out of pocket today, so that you know that's why I said something. Yeah, I mean, and, and Chris Paul's 37 now. Maybe some of his defensive prowess has <laughs> slipped in, yeah. in recent years, but uh, to act like the whole league has always thought of him as a cone seemed to take yeah. it a little too far. Let's talk about yeah. how trash they were in that game last night i'm sure at some point in your career you've been on a team that just got that cold is there any solution when you go into the locker room at halftime or when you take a timeout what do you even do to begin to pull yourself out of a hole when it feels like you can't hit the broad side of a barn well i mean you want to believe you know you, you can't get it all back in one play but it'll only take one shot to get going and that never happens uh unfortunately you know and and Dallas was hitting on all cylinders I really want to give a lot of credit to Jason Kidd you know the adjustments he made um after Dallas lost the first two games in Phoenix were big and you know they switched up coverages that they, they attacked uh Phoenix's stars on the uh, on the offensive end a little differently uh you saw Jason Kidd jumping up and down on the sideline when they were getting in traps I really love the energy that he has kind of put in this team and Obviously, the way Luca was playing is is next level. But I think what was key was, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, welcomed himself to the playoffs last night, uh, you know, having a big 30-point game. And then Jalen Brunson, you know, he was a little bit up and down early in the season, but really found his role uh, later in this series. And, and I think that's the, the reason why they prevailed. You know, obviously, CT and, and Book are going to take a lot of the criticism because they're the leaders and the two best players on the team. But really, it was a complete team meltdown. Uh, and I include Monty Williams in that. So, uh, tough loss, tough situation, and I, and I think they shocked the basketball world. Not that they necessarily beat the Suns, but I think in the fashion they beat them in a game seven, I think it shocked everybody. We're talking to ESPN NBA analyst Matt Barnes on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So let's look forward then. How do you slow down Luka Doncic at this point? <laughs> you don't. You just hope he misses. Uh, and, you know, Golden State is a great defensive team, and I'm sure several guys – We'll have a look at Luca, but Luca's on another level right now. And you saw what he did to he backed down eight and was hitting turnaround jumpers. He's backing down centers, he's backing down point guards, he's going by whoever's guarding him. So I think, you know, Golden State is just gonna have to give him different looks. Different players are gonna give him a chance. But just understand that Luca's gonna do what Luca does and that's be a great score. What you wanna do is cut down his facilitating obviously and try to control those role players. And Dinwiddie and Brunson are gonna be the two main guys uh, moving forward that Luke is going to need um, if this team has any hopes of going to the finals. So the Warriors, I think, they, I think the Warriors know that, that Luka is going to be Luka, uh, just as Steph Curry is going to be Steph Curry. And mm-hmm. I think their game plan is to, to make sure they can keep the role players um, under their averages. 
Yeah, to your point, Matt, the Mavs 4-0 in the playoffs when someone other than Luka scores 25. So it was about Brunson. It was about <laughs> Dinwiddie. Right. And, and and in the other series, right. we saw something similar, which was we, we saw back the old days when the Bucks had Giannis, but they didn't have enough around him. He had an unbelievable yeah. series, putting up numbers that we haven't seen since Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain, but it's not enough, and you really saw the absence of Chris Middleton. So when you look at that yeah. Celtics team, do you say, okay, they were able to handle the defending champs? I feel super confident about them going forward. Or is that more a matter of the Celtics locking out in terms of them not being full strength when they when they faced them? I think in the league today, it's a little bit of both. You know, you know, back when I played, you do come playoff time, the best players are going to be there. You know, for now, for whatever reason, you know, injuries are a major part of mm. our game today. So I think it's a little bit, obviously, Middleton was a too big of a, you know, barrier to overcome, you know, Luke, uh, you know, Middleton is a hell of a player, uh, you know, their big shot taker and maker come down the stretch, you know, him and Giannis work that pick and roll uh, to death in the, for- in the fourth quarter normally. So again, hats off to Boston for doing what needs to be done. Hats off to Giannis for, for playing absolutely amazing. But I feel like the Celtics are hitting on all cylinders right now. And, and, and that's what you want going into, you know, your conference finals. You want to be playing your best. Um, although I think Marcus Smart is going to be a key piece um, if he's not able to play game one, hopefully they can get him back sooner than later. Uh, and also Robert Williams to add you know, more depth to that big front line that they have. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this Miami series. You know, if you think about it, you have, you know, three of the best two-way guys in the game and Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. So this is going to be a great series. And I, I look for uh, Jalen Brown to really be the X factor because Miami has done a great job of cutting the head off the snake. I want to say Jason Tatum averaged under 18 points a game in their matchups this year. Although I expect Jason Tatum to play better. Uh, Jalen Brown is going to have to be that consistent number two, even some nights uh, the leading scorer in this series for, you know, for Boston to prevail. How real is momentum for a player like Tatum that played so well in that series to carry over into the next series? Huge, huge, you know, again, team momentum and, and individual momentum, you know, and Tatum played great, uh, you know, averaging, I think, near 20, 28 a game in that series. But then you look on the flip side, you know, Jimmy Butler has been playing great, you know, not necessarily, you know, he hasn't been the, he's, he's been scoring, should I say, more than he normally, you know, we're accustomed to seeing, but we know he's fully capable of doing that. So he's really taken the lead on the offensive and defensive end for this Miami Heat team. Um, and the rest of the team is going to have to follow suit. But, you know, those two guys in particular are playing their best basketball at the right time, and that's what's going to make this series so beautiful. Spain and Fitz talking to Matt Barnes. You can follow at Matt underscore Barnes 22. I'm looking ahead now, not just to the rest of this playoffs, but next season. And I'm wondering if this is the end for the Suns. You look around at other teams, the Bucks. I feel confident with any team that has Giannis, particularly you get Chris back and you make sure you've got help around him. I look at teams that have up and coming emerging superstars that can dominate the game. As great as Devin Booker is, he's not a physically imposing player. And Chris Paul continues to age. Is it kind of a wrap for this iteration of the Suns in terms of feeling like they're contenders? Uh, I hate to say it, but it, it, it's gonna, it only it's only going to get tougher. It's definitely not going to get easier. Um, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, plus the uncertainty of Aiden. You know, I mean, he obviously mm-hmm. wanted a max deal last year. The team felt like he wasn't a max dollar guy. Um, it's yet to be determined what happened in Game Seven, but for some reason he didn't he play didn't 17 help. minutes and <laughs> yeah. right 17 17 minutes and no minutes in the fourth quarter. So that really yeah. hurt you know, his plea to, to, to being a max player. So there's some uncertainty, um, you know, on that Phoenix Sun side. And, and really to the Chris Paul point, too, I mean, as great as he played this season, you know, obviously struggled 
uh, in this, this series, but he's getting older. And, you know, this team completely changed. And I think, you know, not only with his play, but his leadership and, and the confidence he instilled um, in these guys. So it's definitely not going to get easier. I don't want to say it's completely shut, but it's not as open as it has been these past two years. Uh, because, again, the, the, you know, you've got the young Memphis Grizzlies coming. you got the Warriors bringing everyone back. People forget, you know, Denver was missing, two, you know, two out of three of their mm-hmm. uh, top guns, too, out here in the West. So. Um, it won't be easy. I, again, I don't want to say the door is closed, but it, it's definitely going to be a, a tough journey um, for the Phoenix Suns. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Barnes 22. Also, check out All the Smoke podcast with Matt and Steven Jackson. As always, we appreciate your time and your insight, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you guys for having me. Have a good show. All right. We, we'll keep breaking down the NBA, obviously, throughout the course of tonight, throughout the course of the entire week, because it is a huge week for the association. But a controversial star is set to meet with the NFL to discuss his future. We'll get you caught up on the latest and greatest next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'm not sure any story in the NFL is going to continue to be stranger at this point than Deshaun Watson and whatever's next for Deshaun the player with the Cleveland Browns. And today was a good example of that, as we've seen over the last 24 hours, two very different reports about what's next for the quarterback. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, you know, this is part of what's strange about everything happening for the Browns and for Deshaun Watson right now, Sarah, because you've almost got two universes. One where the Browns and Deshaun are trying to move on and live a, a normal offseason – and the other where the NFL is trying to figure out what is next for them regarding the accusations that Watson's facing. So we got sort of information on both of those sides. As we now know, according to first reported by CBS, confirmed by ESPN, the NFL will be meeting with Deshaun Watson this week in Houston. He's facing 22 civil lawsuits from women who have accused him of inappropriate sexual conduct during massage sessions to determine if he violated their code of conduct policy. Reminder to everybody that no matter what, the NFL can still punish if they determine with their own investigation that there's been a violation of code of conduct. So that's side one of it. And then side two of it is that we get the report that Deshaun is flying the entire offense to the Bahamas uh, to hang out and bond while they practice. And what's interesting about that is then you've got the, is Baker Mayfield going on that? What's it going to be like? Is he booking massages for everybody? Like, there's so many different angles to this Deshaun Watson thing that it reminds you how difficult everything is right now to figure out Side A, which is these accusations, and side B, which is a world where the Browns and Deshaun seem to be wanting to go about business as usual. Yeah, I mean, what was somewhat of the most interesting part last season was that because he had already demanded and requested a trade and had no intention of playing for the Texans, there was a removal of sort of responsibility on both his behalf and the team's in terms of acting and even in some ways for the NFL to have any expedience in terms of their decision-making as the, as the accusations, both criminal and civil played out, uh, everyone was in a holding pattern that is over with the contract that the Browns have given him and the expectations they have for him. And that means that on the one path he has to, and the team has to operate as if he is, going to start the season and needs to get to know his fellow offensive players. At the same time, there is an expectation from many people that there will be some sort of punishment. Many are just guessing at a potential six games that will likely be levied. And the timing on that will certainly make a difference as to how this team prepares for 
when he's rolled out and and represents them and how they handle whatever quarterback will be starting for them, whether that's Baker or somebody else. It certainly hasn't felt like Baker, but no movement on that front has further complicated things. Well, and multiple insiders are reporting that it, it seems to be understood that the last step of the investigation or one of the last steps of the investigation by the NFL is to speak to Deshaun Watson. So in theory, if this is now taking place in Houston sometime this week, the presumption is that means that the NFL has done all the rest of the legwork to be ready. Now, we still haven't heard with any specifics what that legwork looks like. We haven't gotten exacts from the league themselves about what they've done to go through mm-hmm. their investiga- investigative process. But we do know that, at least according to what people in the know think, the fact that he is going to be sitting down with the league means we're coming close to some sort of a, at least a determination by the league. Now, that still could lead to uh, appeals. That could lead to a whole process we don't know anything about. And Baker Mayfield's sort of sitting here right now trying to figure out what's next for him. But how can the Browns even know what they want to do there when they mm-hmm. have no idea how much suspension, presuming there is one, that Deshaun Watson will be facing? Also worth noting that the NFL is in – Uh, a really important pivot point here as everybody will be watching what they do not in in any not in in a vacuum either they have certainly made decisions around cases of sexual abuse of domestic violence of uh sexual assault in the past but this is now aligned with uh a a decision made by the mlb in the trevor bauer case that really holds next to them um a mirror Uh, Trevor Bauer suspended last month for 324 games, an Mm. unprecedented punishment. And there will now be uncomfortable conversations for the NFL if their punishment compared to that is nothing or if there is no punishment. And while it's not apples to apples, there is um, something to be said for the MLB decisively, you know, keeping someone out of their sport for two seasons at least versus the NFL, who has done nothing thus far, not even the commissioner's exemplus for Deshaun throughout this incident. Well, and and this stacks on top of controversy upon controversy that the NFL is trying to find ways to uh, get through without having to be public, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. what we've talked about before when it comes to some of the issues around the Washington commanders and some of the issues around John Gruden and their attempts to settle everything in arbitration because they don't want to publicize things is, in my mind, in part because they simply don't want to make their process open to everybody. I'm not sure in a modern time they can get away with that level of, hey, we're doing what we're doing because we choose to do it sort of response here when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Because to your point, they haven't had to say anything for a very long time. Now that they are going to have to, I think there will be more of a demand from society as a whole to understand the whys and hows for whatever reasoning they come up with. Like there, there's very little, uh, there's very little chance for everybody to be satisfied here. If you're Deshaun Watson, you've maintained absolute innocence throughout this entire process. So if you still maintain absolute innocence, then any suspension is going to be an insult yeah. to you. But on the other side of it, there are 22 people right now with civil lawsuits that that scream loudly as well. So the league can't really sit in the middle on this. They're going to have to take a side, which means they're going to have to explain why they've taken that side. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Deshaun Watson set to meet with the NFL this week. We've waited a long time to hear what, if anything, the NFL will do in light of the allegations. And Fitz, you know, I think one thing, too, is the transparency with which they explain their decision making. And that's something that those of us who advocate for real conversations about these issues 
always demand. It's not as simple as saying, well, we've suspended Araldus Chapman. And when he comes back and he's asked what he learned or what he talked to, talk to the commissioner about, he says, I don't know, I fell asleep and I don't have have you learned anything is there a transparency for us to recognize and understand that a change has occurred why would we believe that this will not happen again in the case of deshaun watson if he is indeed guilty of these things that's a serial abuser of control and power who what will have occurred during this time period to have us believe that it won't happen again now in addition to the fact that we would hope that the NFL would explain their decision making on this, there are some possible ways that this could be a, a statement that they would like to make but are prevented from doing so. And that's if they find a violation and send it to an independent arbitrator, and then that arbitrator weighs the evidence, decides that there was no personal conduct policy violation, the CBA says the NFL cannot appeal. So the NFL might come out and say, you know, this independent arbitrator didn't find enough evidence or this didn't happen. And then, you know, the, the, the league can appeal to commission who makes a final determination, but that's going to be tougher to do if there's a disagreement between them and the arbitrator. And I think there's so many vagaries around this case that it's not impossible to see that happening, particularly if the people who are weighing do not view the word of women as evidence which is something that has kept coming up, Fitz, and is part of the problem. When people say there is no evidence, that ignores the fact that you have 22-plus women who are telling you what the, what they say happened. That is evidence. Well, and the fact that Deshaun Watson doubled down at his introductory press conference and made it clear that he's not apologetic for anything because he didn't do anything wrong, to me, like if that's the stance you're going to take, that I am wildly in the clear – then transparency shouldn't be something that you're right. concerned with, right? Yeah, so for sure. if, if that's going to be the approach he takes, I still maintain to your point, while that what you're saying makes a ton of sense, if the league, if that's what happens to the league, if I'm the league, I'm coming out and saying, here's the evidence we presented and here's why we thought it was worth the punishment. The, this arbitrator didn't agree. At least put it on that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we will, we will at least start to get answers over the course of the next week. Uh, we'll at least know as Deshaun Watson will meet with the league and we'll see what it means from there as we get more information on when the league will finally rule on what's next for him and for the Browns. Coming up next here. Where do the Suns go from here? We'll look at it after looking back on the weekend in the NBA. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know the feeling when you wake up on a weekend, you realize it's going to be a magical day in sports. You wake up, you get everything set, you're making yourself a little breakfast, maybe you're splurging a little, it's the weekend, you're looking around, you're thinking, oh, Today is going to be one of those days in sports that I love every second of. That's how we all felt yesterday when we woke up and we realized that we were getting two Game 7s in the NBA and Game 7 action in the NHL. That's how we all felt all the way up until tip-off. And then once tip-off came, it was one gigantic kick in the no-no places over and over again. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, I'm still mad about it. You know, I, I went in yesterday with such high expectations, especially after I sat there and so many of us did this. You know, so many of us watched game six between the Celtics and the and the Bucks. And what did we immediately say? Oh, Inject this in my veins. Don't ever make this series stop. I want more of this. Well, instead of more of that, what we got was an entire Sunday night of just thrashings and butt whoopings and games that were over by the half. It was a disgrace. It was gross, and it was awful. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, listen, we we talked a lot about the Suns' disappointment earlier in the show, and it was compounded by how joyful the Mavs' destruction was. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? It wasn't just that the Suns couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, made for an extremely boring out, and completely destroyed expectations that almost all of us had for the team that led start to finish in the regular season and looked like they had survived a serious injury to Devin Booker to make their way back onto the path we had all imagined. No, they ruined all of that for us. Chris Paul basically celebrated his 37th birthday and then looked like he was 87 for the rest of the series. But in addition to that was that everybody on the Mavs was on fire. Not just Doncic, who had 35 points, and who, by the way, had as many points more than the entire Suns team did at the half. Uh, first player in at least 25 seasons to equal or exceed an opponent's scoring in the half of a playoff game. And it was in a game seven. Um, and was laughing after every shot. It wasn't just that the Suns were cold. It was that the Mavs were so hot. In fact, they asked Luca after the game if he knew about his scoring prowess the first half. Were, were you aware at halftime you had as many points as the Suns? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, mean, what'd you, I, I, I see it. I see it. <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, I think our defense was amazing. Uh, you know. But, I mean, yeah, that was that was good. But, like I said, you know, this is a team win, team effort. Everybody played amazing. Everybody just left everything on the court. So, I'm really, I'm really proud of this team. I mean, yeah, the laugh. Uh, yeah. Of course I did. Of course I saw that. By the way, uh, Mark Cuban also getting in on that. If you remember Lil Wayne, who's friends with Chris Paul, said Luca a ho the other night. And so Mark Cuban retweeted it with a shot of uh, Lil Wayne courtside for the destruction last night. It's a bleep show. Put you front row. Hashtag wow. MFFL. Absolutely nailed the clapback. Wow. That is when Mark Cuban. Even too. the owner is laughing in your face after dunking on you. You know you really got worked. Oh, my God. And this level of joy from Luca is incredible. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about what all this means for the Suns moving forward and, you know, how dire things might look in the future. If you missed it earlier, check it out in the podcast. I, I think there's a real conversation about what's next for some teams. But I think if you're Milwaukee, Sarah, you have to look at what happened to their slaughter over the course of Sunday and say, okay, at least there's this moment of I can I can justify it. Like, if I'm a Milwaukee fan, what I saw over the course of the last couple of games was a superhuman, otherworldly, don't ever throw shade at Giannis because he's that stinking good effort, night in, night out. Everything they asked him to do, he did. Everything you could ask any player to do in that moment, he did. And you realize that this team without Chris Middleton was shorthanded, and they still gave the Celtics absolutely everything that they could handle on a night and several nights where Jason Tatum looks superhuman. So if mm -hmm. I'm the Bucks, at least I can find a path to like, hey, justify why this isn't going to, this doesn't mean that everything's over for us moving forward. Yeah. I mean, you look at both of these series and they both end disastrously. The Celtics, um, you know, like to your, to your point, Jason Tatum was good in that game, 23 points, but he didn't have to be dominant because Grant Williams had a career <laughs> high 27, had more three pointers taken and made in a playoff game, I think in franchise history for the Celtics as a guy who used to be like 0 for 25 to start his career from beyond the arc, like magical things had to happen too. But that made sense to me in a way 
it filled the narrative that we've known of the Bucks for the last couple of years, which was when it was the Giannis show and he had to do the things he did all series long. It was really hard for that team to succeed. And absolutely, there are things you can point to Budenholzer for and some decisions made strategically that I think are part of the reason that things went so poorly for the Bucks down the stretch there. But that was a Boston team that up and down was defensively fantastic and there just wasn't enough. The way that they played Giannis, if Chris Middleton had been out there, it would have been completely different. The well, Suns and, don't have that to say. This is just a team that might have missed their window. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I felt like one thing that we talked about before the Bucks celtics series was how long until people start questioning Budenholzer again, which is exactly what happened. By, by last night, it was Coach Bud can't make adjustments. Like it, it's all the same narratives we heard pre-championship. You know? But if you're, if you're Milwaukee, at least you can look at it and say, okay, we know how we're moving forward. If you're the Suns, you're looking around at a really competitive West right now with a lot of teams that are young, that are growing, that are getting better. You know, I, I think the glow-up is just starting for Memphis, and you can look at Golden State obviously advancing in the way they're playing right now, but also look at Luka, and it, it, this is a, a Mavericks team that's Luka and a bunch of other guys, and I questioned two weeks ago why that was their strategy and if it could work, and I forgot that Luka's just – that dude, right? Like Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA insider, was said this about Luca on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. If you're not on the Luca Doncic train, it's leaving the station. Mm. And this is a guy who you may not think he has the playoff resume, but look in Europe, look what he did with the Slovenian national team. This guy's a killer. And I don't know if his team is going to be able to deliver the way they did yesterday on a regular basis. And I certainly respect the Warriors. How, how can you not? Who's guarding him? Who's guarding him, guys? Uh, Luka Doncic is a force. He is going to be a force for the next decade. And he has arrived now. He is earlier than we thought. Look out. This is about to be Luka Doncic's league. Yeah, pretty much. And it is interesting, though, Fitz, how over the course of a series like this, you could see the conversation change. Because it started out with Luka doesn't get any help. Luka's a liability on defense. The Suns are making him work for every cut and every screen and every bucket, and that's tiring him out. He's not physically capable of being effective defensively, and that's going to be an issue for them. And now instead it's, well, it's Luka's leak, and good luck to everybody else. And I'm not... I'm not begrudging anyone for that decision-making. What we've seen from him over the course of the series has been unbelievable. And when it comes to defense, he actually held Phoenix to 27% as the primary defender in that game. So he managed to step up on that side of the ball too. Yeah, and you make a great point, and it's worth reiterating. I don't remember who the expert was, but last week there was an expert that was on ESPN Radio saying, hey, Luca's tough to play with. And and now yeah. we see that, no, you know what, that's – it's not always the case. Like it's it's amazing how much the conversation changed from a Phoenix team that was up two nothing and looked like they were about to just run through the West, and then all of a sudden it got bad and it got bad fast. And now they have questions that they can't even begin to answer. And quickly, Monty Williams, Suns head coach, was asked one specific question about the limited playing time for DeAndre Ayton. His response said everything. DA only played 17 minutes tonight, yep. and so he didn't play most of the fourth quarter. Is there any reason why is he hurt? Or it's internal. It's uh, internal. That's already a meme, by the way. Like, I, I saw a tweet earlier that the longtime voice of the Suns was asked if he'd be back next year, and without a beat, he said, it's internal. Uh, I feel like that's <laughs> going to be something that we're going to hear a whole lot coming out of Phoenix as people try to react to, I mean, a fewest, third fewest minutes he's played in his career, I think, or maybe it's third fewest minutes for um, a, a top draft pick. I can't remember the stat, but, I mean, it's it, it's extremely noticeable, especially when you're beefing with your coach on the sidelines. 
Yeah, and last year in the playoffs it was, oh, my God, Aiton has finally arrived and is going to get a max contract, and now he's sitting around, didn't get that bag, yeah. and everybody's wondering what the future looks like. So it's, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. It was a bad weekend for Phoenix. It was a bad weekend for Milwaukee. It's a bad weekend for a bunch of NHL teams. And it was a really bad weekend for my wallet. I'll tell you why, and we'll figure out who had the worst weekend next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It was a rough weekend for a lot of fans in sports. It was a rough weekend for a lot of fans, even with a casual rooting interest, but there were diehards that had their hearts ripped out and stomped all over. The question is who had the roughest weekend? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with our easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I need to learn more about betting, Sarah, because I Uh had a tough week. Like, I had one of those weekends. And this all started while I was in Vegas, the NFL draft, right? Like, uh, you know, for anyone that that may dabble when you you gamble on many of those, the apps that you use, uh, when you're in Nevada, there's a special version of that app because of Nevada law. So you're using the Nevada version of that app, and the money doesn't commingle. So I had some money left in the app from when being out there during the Raiders season. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw some money. Uh, I, I knew Memphis was a reach, but I really liked the odds. So I was like, I got nothing to lose there. So I threw a little money there. Mm-hmm. And then I threw more money on the Bucks over the Celtics. Really felt like everybody was sleeping on what Giannis was going to be able to do. So I felt good about that. So we get all the way to Game 7. And we get to Game 7. And I'm sitting there the night before Game 7, and I'm looking at things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to double down on this. I, oh, no. I've already got money on it. So I'm going to no. put more money on the no. Bucks going into game seven. And then, and then this is where I really needed somebody to just walk up, slap me in the face and say, hey, stupid, stop. No, I didn't do that. I get to halftime. Halftime of a very close game and I'm looking at it saying, you know what? Got a little bit left in there. Might just uh, might as well just let it all no, ride. So I let it fits. all ride on the Bucks. All of it. Go on. Hedge your Go bets. On. You didn't hedge your bets in any way. No, I don't like hedging my bets. I'm, I'm, I was that guy oh, okay, at the roulette good, table good, that good. was like, you know what, 13 hasn't hit all day, so I'll just keep playing 13, and then I'll wonder why I'm out of money. That's what I did. Like, I, I emptied everything on the Bucks in, in oh, seven, and it didn't work for me. Uh. All right. Well, who's – I mean, you might win this. We'll put up a poll, see what people think. <laughs> but um, let's offer up some other options. Okay, okay. so Fitz, who uh, lost his life savings, tripling down on the Bucks and the Grizzlies. Uh-huh. Um I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Suns have to be in the mix. Uh, here's a little bit of what it sounded like as Luca was ruining their lives. Now Doncic knocks down Johnson, no call, wide open for three, and he buries that one too. 27 in the first half in the deciding seventh game as Dallas is now up 30 on Phoenix. You can oh. almost hear Luca laughing in that clip too. You could almost hear him laughing as the shot went through because I think he giggled and cackled after every shot he made. I feel like part of what makes that, like, the fact that it was such a slaughter so early, it makes me think of when I was a kid watching the AFC Championship game where the Raiders were down, I think, 35-3 to at the half. Might have been something like that. They were just getting thumped by Buffalo at the half. And, like, when you come in with such high expectations and you find yourself down 57-27 in the first half, like, as a fan, I, I, you just, you're defeated. You know, there's this moment where you just give up. And, and I, obviously that plays to some of what makes it a bad weekend for them. I'll, I'll also put, I mean, we at least got to put Milwaukee in on that. Because remember, mm-hmm. they got smacked. And this is what that sounded like. To the Kumbo, down the lane, off the crossover, to the rack, lay it up. No, he missed it, point blank range. Too hard off the window, cleared by the seas. Up the four to Williams, left wing three. Oh, mercy again. Oh, 
ESPN Radio that's, on the call there. That's in there. Yeah, that's in there for sure. Although I would say the Suns were a more embarrassing defeat than the Bucks, and the Bucks are still sleeping on the championship trophies from last year. Uh, the Reds have to be in here. Oh. I asked on the internet, what is lower than rock bottom? Because we had already, on this very show, talked about the statistical terribleness of the Reds thus far in the season. There are people flying planes over the game about how pathetic this team is, and somehow they managed to be even worse. Here's a little bit of the Pirates-Reds final call. That's all. Reds fall. Friedel flirting with a base hit. But Josh Van Meter, the former Red, who was on the verge of ejection earlier in the game, makes a fine play deep in the hole at second, taking the hit away from T.J. Friedel and ending this ball game in a 1-0 Reds defeat. The Pirates were no hit today by Reds pitching, but in the end, they win it 1-0. First team to win a game with no hit since the Dodgers did it in 2008. Yeah, you heard that right. Uh, I mean, how do you get a no-hitter no hitter loose? And like, lost one to nothing. That is a level of like, that's when you just, you, you look at it and say, you know what, let's just have a little peace the rest of the year. The baseball gods have obviously decided it's not there for the Reds. That's fine. You If you if you have a no-hitter and you lose, that's when you just, you put all your gear away and you say, we'll see you next year. That That's all you can do. Just enjoy yeah. the hot dog at the uh, at the stadium. You can't, you, you got no shot at actually winning anything from there. Yeah, that's uh, okay. So we've got the Suns, the Bucks, the Reds, you, uh, the Penguins. Listen, game seven, Penguins have a lead. They've got a 2 1 lead. Then they've got a 3 2 lead, and they end up losing in overtime in game seven. Here's what it sounded like 15 seconds with the man advantage. Fox, ripping air, top the right circle, moves in, shoots, it's in. Oh. It's over! Artemi Panarin scores, and the Rangers have won Game 7 oh. in overtime! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> As Barton oh. Hahn said, that was from 98.7 ESPN New York. Uh, it sounded like he was yelling into a fan. Unbelievable. The thought, and I've said this so many times today already, but I'll keep saying it. The thought that the Rangers won a series where they trailed 3-1 to one in the series and they trailed every game after that, mm. down three to one. Like that's a level of of sting that I, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, takes a long time. I, we got to give the Maple Leafs, by the way, a little bit of a honorable it's a, mention it's on Leafs. this. Like they don't no, know how to pluralize in Toronto. Ma- it's Maple Leafs. Leafs. Uh, the Maple Leafs yeah. uh, losing yeah. to Tampa. Like there's no there's no disrespect in losing to the Lightning. Like that's a that's a very solid team. hockey team, and it's a solid hockey franchise, and you know. They're consistently competitors, right? So you could at least hold your head high, but now you really can't because for Toronto, you felt like this was the year. In fact, um, they did a great on one of the digital NHL shows. They did a great preview where they tried to knock over all the pins in a bowling alley to figure out what team was going to win. And they may or may not have staged it to put Toronto in the middle of that just so that Toronto was the one left because everybody thought Toronto was going to win it all this year. Like, if you're a Maple Leafs fan, like, this this is the just punch in the gut you should be used to, but you're never used to. Yeah, I mean, listen, the uh, the Maple Leafs have a tendency to do this, uh, lead their fans to this moment of potential ecstasy only to fall apart. And 
Unfortunately, it's happened again. I don't know if I could put them in the mix because it was almost inevitable, right? Uh, <laughs> the inevitability of the Suns collapse was not anywhere on the radar. Finding a way for the Maple Leafs to end in crushing fashion in a Game 7 almost feels like it was, uh, it was ordained. Did anything bad happen to you this weekend? Did you did you make it through unscathed? Um, let's see. What did I do this weekend? Well, we were off all of last week, so I guess like my liver had a bad long weekend because I, mean... I didn't have a single show from Tuesday through Friday. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, not a podcast, not an Around the Horn, not a Spain and Fitz. So I hung out with my friends on Tuesday and I drank. I went to the Sky game and they won on Wednesday and I drank. I celebrated the anniversary of my friend's company. She started on Thursday and I drank. Went out to dinner with my husband on Friday and I drank. I uh, oh, went and got cocktails with friends on Saturday and I drank. And then last night I went to a Newberry Library event at the Ritz and I drank. So my liver, I guess, on mm-hmm. my seven-day weekend... The the important thing that I'm really catching here is that like I could have bought you all those drinks and lost uh, less money than I did on yeah, the box. Yeah, and, you know what the good thing is I didn't pay for really any of them. Uh, so yeah. that's mm-hmm. how life works around here. Yeah. I put up a poll at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. Uh, we 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 could only put four up, but you can help us decide who had the worst weekend. Okay, we'll see how how the poll goes. And uh, by the way, I, I'm going to tell everybody I'm never gambling again until you know tomorrow yeah. when the next mm-hmm. round starts. And then I'm going to be like, you know what, Sarah? I'm about to get hot, 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 hot. All right, what would you do if Magic Johnson tweeted at you praising your basketball game? Our next guest can actually tell us what it's like. You'll hear it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Monday. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. That's where you can vote on who had the worst weekend in sports. I get the feeling Fitz tripling down on the bucks and blowing all of his life savings is probably going to be the leading vote getter, but uh, mm. plenty to choose from. Uh, let's get into some WNBA. I mentioned last segment I got to the Sky game on Wednesday and watched them win by their largest margin in franchise history, which was a good time. They did not win the first game of their season, and that was in part thanks to our guest. Jordan Canada joins us now, L.A. Sparks guard. She was a part of the effort to down my Chicago Sky opening night of the season as they started their title defense, and shortly after, Magic Johnson tweeted that everybody should watch this L.A. homegrown girl now that she's back with the Sparks. Let's start there, Jordan. I mean, how awesome is it? What's it like when Magic Johnson tweets about you? Um, it's it's a, an amazing and humbling humbling feeling, honestly, um, for him to tweet not only about me but our team and you know how well we played or have been playing so far. Um, I think it's just a testament to what our team um, and potential has once we get our chemistry going. But it was definitely great to see you know one of the greatest basketball players to not only play the game but to put on a Laker jersey. For him to recognize me and my team, that was just an awesome – well, me personally, um, it was just an awesome, awesome experience and feeling to see that. I mean, you mentioned the Lakers, Jordan. You, you grew up a Lakers fan. You're, you're L.A. through and through. Now you're playing back home. What's that transition been like for you to be back in front of a home crowd? It's been great. I've gotten a lot of love. Um, you know, my family, friends, and just, you know, some fans and supporters. I've gotten tons of love. Now that I'm back home and I honestly love being back home and being able to play for the Sparks. I mean, it was kind of 
I feel like it's kind of written in stone. I was, I remember being a kid and going to the Staples Center, watching the Sparks play and playing on the court at times. And so, um, you know, I feel like it's just a full circle moment. And I'm just so happy to be here and have the opportunity to play for L.A. Jordan Canada with us, L.A. Sparks guard. You could follow her at Jordan with an I underscore Canada. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a baller at the high school level in Los Angeles area. You, you kill at UCLA, leading the team to multiple tournament appearances, Elite Eights. And now at the professional level, you're going to have your first chance tomorrow night against the Lynx, the home opener. Are there nerves or just excitement when it comes to having on that uniform and playing in front of all those hometown fans? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. But for good nervousness, I yeah. think it's just finally having my dream come true of playing in a Sparks jersey and being on – you know, playing in crypto, uh, I think it's just going to be a lot of emotions, but good emotions and, you know, trying not to be too high um, tomorrow and just trying to make sure I stay locked in on the game plan and letting the game come to me and not feeling like I have to force anything just because it is my first time playing on, uh, you know, on the Sparks home floor. So it's going to be a lot of great emotions. Um, but for the most part, I'll just be super happy to, you know, be in our in our arena and have our home opener and have our cramp fans come out and support us. You started your career in Seattle, obviously, and uh, that meant that you were playing uh, with Sue Bird and behind Sue Bird for for portion of your career. So, what was it like learning from her? I learned a, I learned uh, a lot from Sue how to, you know, be a professional, you know, how to be a great point guard in this league, and just watching her day in day out, how she carries herself on and off the court. Um, she's such a, she was very um, vocal for our team and um, just being able to see how she thinks the game uh, was super important for me and my develop uh, development as a point guard. Um, and for, for me to learn from one of the best point guards to ever play the game was something that was crucial in my development. And I'm, I'm, you know, I was super thankful and blessed to be, um, drafted to Seattle and being in that championship culture and organization. So I learned a lot from her. And I think, you know, being able to see her day in and day out, how she, you know, goes through her process of getting prepared for games and even practice and her routine definitely helped me um, in my development. Yeah, I mean, Sue was just on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre talking about how much smarter she is as a player now at 41, this many seasons in. And I imagine if you are lucky enough to be on her team, she's going to impart all that wisdom. You're going to get a real head start learning that early in your career. And to your point, you get those two titles uh, early on and now gives you an idea of just what it takes to go out and do that. And that's obviously the goal for the Sparks. Jordan Canada of the Sparks with us here. Right now, career high, 15 and a half points, four and a half assists this season. And you're taking all that knowledge that you got from Sue, but you're now in a position to start and be be a star. What's really clicked for you on this team in this season? I'm just taking, you know, what I've learned over the last four years and obviously developing, um, you know, as a player and just being confident in myself and, and taking on that leadership role. I felt like I've always had it. Um, it's just a matter of having the opportunity to show it. Um, so the fact that, you know, I'm being able to show it here in L.A. and be a part of this team, I think um, it's going to be super exciting. Like just the glimpses that we've showed on the four game road trip 
Um, you can just tell the potential that we have to be a really great team. I think we're so dynamic and everyone's versatile and can play different positions. And we have a lot of playmakers um, and people that can create for themselves and for others. So I think we're going to be a special team once we continue to build our chemistry. But I think for me, just, just taking on that leadership role of um, being able to get everyone involved and holding people accountable um, and, you know, having it start with me. You guys have your home opener tomorrow night against the Lynx. For everybody that's coming out, what would you say is the identity of this team? Well, we're a team that is uh, definitely defensive sound. Uh, we are somewhat – well, the Sparks have always been one of the top defensive teams in the league, and I think that will always be uh, our identity is just how aggressive that we can be on the defensive end. And offensively, like I said, I think we're very versatile. And I think we can run and get out and transition. Um, but, you know, we're definitely a defensive team, defensive-minded team, and, you know, a team that likes to run the floor and push the pace. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to L.A. Sparks guard Jordan Canada ahead of the Sparks home opener tomorrow night. Um, you've got a, a bunch of fascinating players on your team. Our girl, uh, Shanae, who we work with here. Um, Liz Cambage is another who can be such a dominant player, but she sure brings a lot of cameras and spotlights and news and and uh she's got she's she's a larger than life personality how's it been working with her i love liz uh liz, liz is, a, is amazing to play with um having a dominant big like that is just very you know it it helps our team you know she she calls herself the honeypot because you know everyone is just drawn to her when, whether she has the ball or she doesn't have the ball um so it's just easy to play with liz um, obviously, we're still trying to get a feel for each other. It's only been four games, so we're still, you know, still trying to figure some things out. But for, for the most part, um, as season has started, you know, I love playing with Liz. She's she's has this bright, um, you know, personality, and I think that's it's so positive to have people like that on our team. Um, so yeah, I, I love playing with Liz, and I'm looking forward to this season. Yeah, and as a little five six uh, gal who was my worst nightmare when playing, you know, traveling around right at people's knees, stealing balls and, and, and going fast, she's like exactly the opposite. So you could always, when in doubt, just put it up and hope that she, she's got it because uh, she's towering over everybody else. Hey, really quick before you go, I'm curious, you know, when, when the news about Brittany Griner came out, there was a real concerted effort to keep it quiet um, for her safety's sake. But since then, the U.S. has changed their designation of Russia uh, uh, keeping her in their country. And there's been a, a real push to talk about it. What have you heard from the WNBA or from teammates and league leaders about how to approach the situation and how to get the word out? Um, we're just continuing to, you know, well, first and foremost, hoping that BG is safe. Um, you know, just continuing to do everything that we can to make sure that, you know, she comes home. And so just continuing to talk about how long she's been over there um, and just making sure we're, we're staying positive and, and just continuing to put out the word as much as possible. Um, but yeah, we, we really hope that Beachy comes home very soon and we're praying for her. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's just really sad to see, you know, our sister and someone who's done so much for the league and the community be in this uh, position but, you know, we're, we're praying that she gets home safe and it's just continuing to put the word out. Yeah, uh, completely agree. And uh, continuing to push the people in, in power to make it happen. Hey, thanks for the time, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks so much, Jordan. Thank you so much. Good stuff. You can follow her at Jordan with an I.
J-O-R-D-I-N underscore Canada. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. So who did have the worst weekend in sports? Our official poll revealed next. Plus, how do we do on our picks for the second round and who we got in the conference finals? It's next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome to Lithuania. Um, poor Kendrick. <laughs> I'm never going to hear his song and not think about that weird video those ladies made. Such I don't blame a hard you. beat. It's such a hard beat, but like now all I think about is Welcome to Lithuania, uh, which is a deep cut, and I'm almost positive no one listening has any idea what I'm talking about. No, but, we did uh, it on this show a long yeah, time ago, did, so go back and find it on the podcast Regular somewhere. Regular listeners will remember mm-hmm. the Welcome to Lithuania song for the Ball Brothers uh, that used that hard, hard beat. Uh, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we asked you before, uh, earlier in the show, who had the worst weekend in sports? And there were a number of options. You can only put four on the poll on social media. So we went with the Suns, who forgot how to basketball. Uh, we went with the Penguins, who blew a lead to lose Game 7 in overtime. We went with the Reds, who managed to throw a no-hitter and still lost the game. And Jason Fitz, who lost lots of money tripling down on the Bucks, Not hedging his bets, just tripling down at every turn. Uh, regular listener, Angry Bears fan Dad Man said, I picked Jason. He was finally exposed. The Penguins weren't embarrassed. They lost, but Panarin is legit. Suns fans almost expected the Suns to lose. It's Phoenix. Reds fans have known shame for many, many years. They're used to this. Jason enjoyed eating Dinty Moore and ramen. Uh, he's not wrong. Like that's going to be ramen's going to be my meal. Actually, I'm going to make it all up this series. What are we talking about? Oh, no. You just keep doubling down. Fitz, right? that's, no. You just, you just keep adding more, and then it, like eventually you got to get one of them, right? Right? Is you know, that the I just way this did works? an interview. I just did an interview with Gaming Today, and the interviewer asked me about whether we have any gambling-specific elements on our show, and I said we haven't. As recently, we've done more like specific to events, like something like March Madness or the Super Bowl, or have someone on. But that we used to do a recurring segment with Doug Kazarian, where we had three live levels of bets dip a toe wade in and you're a full-blown full-blown degenerate and you would you would giggle along with with doug as he would call himself a degenerate and and now here we are and i worry i worry that you yourself tripling down on the bucks and now trying to chase uh have maybe waded in too far I, I look i'm gonna need to get like some of those books maybe i can like talk to alan from the hangover and see if somebody can help me maybe you know, i'm gonna have to start counting <laughs> cards or something i don't know i'm gonna get oh, there no. but i gotta get this back like, right uh, like Jordan in yeah. the last dance with the sunglasses <laughs> on in the interview. Yeah, it's I'm, not a problem if you can afford it, man. <laughs> suddenly, I'm walking around everywhere with sunglasses and like a low, uh, the hat's super low. You can't catch my eyes. Like I'm living different, sir. Like I'm, li- I'm yeah. a changed man now that I've lost three bets on the Bucks in one series. I'm a changed <laughs> man. Listen, just remember, you don't have a gambling problem. You have a competition problem. And as long as you phrase it that way, you can just stick (laughs) with it. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The poll, uh, you didn't win, which is good for you. Uh, The the Suns. Yeah, you didn't win again. Not surprisingly. Keeping with the theme of the weekend, you didn't win. Mm. Uh, The Suns, 59.4% for forgetting how to basketball. 21% the Reds throwing a no-hitter and still losing. 12% to broke fits and 7.6% for the Penguins who were downed by the bread man, Artemi Panarin, who used to be on the Blackhawks. They should be on the list too for losing literally everything, including Panarin. Uh, Speaking of chasing, you could try to make it up by gambling on the Eastern and Western conference finals, but based on how you've fared thus far, I don't know if that's a good idea. 
Uh, I don't know that we have the audio from the first round, but I believe I was perfect and you had two wrong, or is that does that sound right? Uh, no, Devin? that doesn't sound that, that doesn't sound right at all. I, there, there's no way it was you weren't were you perfect in the first round? I think I was. Uh, uh, I think Sarah had one that she missed. Fitz, okay. uh, very famously, we uh, <laughs> we we gave him five out of eight, but it potentially oh, could yeah. have been four out of eight because he went robot and we didn't know what he said. <laughs> uh-huh. That's okay. fair. Okay, so that's fair. I, I, I'm I think we gave him the benefit of the doubt, but yeah, I think Sarah kind of crushed you again. Okay, so she was yeah, seven of eight, yeah. and I was five of eight. Uh, so I was only down by two. I was only two series behind in this thing. Uh, still in it. It just did, didn't work out for me this round. That's all. Yeah, it's it's possible. I I can't remember which one I got wrong, but perhaps that's right. That doesn't sound right to me, but perhaps that's correct. Either way, we made our picks for the second round. Uh, I was two for four. Um, I have to admit, I did not have the Mavs winning. Um, that was a surprise, and I did have the Bucks advancing. So both of mine that I missed on went to Game Seven, and then my teams that I that I picked fell. Uh, I believe you were one for four. Yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, look, I lost a little money on, on Memphis, uh, but that's okay. You know, we couldn't have predicted – I couldn't have predicted Ja was out on that. Uh, lost all my money on, on the Bucks, so we knew that that happened there. Now, I, I didn't take the Mavericks uh, over the Suns. I didn't think that would happen at all. So, uh, But I did get the Heat right, so there's that. Yippee. Yeah, hang on to that. Maybe you should be betting on the Heat. Nah, I mean, why would I bet on the Heat? The Celtics are hot, 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 oh, hot. No. They, they oh, just, no. they just withstood uh, taking on He-Man wrapped up in Optimus Prime all at once. Yeah, like, uh, right. I mean, Giannis, Giannis was was as good as it could possibly be, and they still won that series. Uh, Boston shooting so well. I'm taking the Celtics over the Heat. Let's go. I'm putting money okay. on that. All right, one. all right. So this is let's let's make our picks. You've got the Celtics over the Heat. Um. Uh, mm. I feel like now that I'm I've said it, so I'm so much sure trouble deciding in that one. Here's the thing. The Heat are such a different matchup because there isn't that. Obviously, Jimmy Buckets is the focus, but it's not the physical overpowering presence of Giannis. And they have a handful of guys. Their depth has been a benefit to them. In fact, I think they had something like nine players in double digits in that dispatch of the 76ers. You can go deep there, and that's even in a series where Spolster really didn't seem to have any confidence in Robinson, and they still went deep. You have a couple guys that can go off, but you also have those same guys that could disappear and not have a big night, whether that's Tyler Hero or Duncan or, or Bam or, you know, whereas the Celtics defensively, are so locked down and offensively you're starting to figure out that there are a couple guys that you know when you have grant williams like i said setting a franchise record from three uh you could you could go a little deeper in the bag than maybe you thought and interestingly the celtics and the mavs are the two best teams in the nba since january Mm. so if you're looking for the team that was hot end of season leading into this postseason it's not as surprising as maybe you felt like it was for those teams to be the ones okay i'm gonna go celtics oh look at that we agree on that one i feel very bad about agreeing putting even more money on it i feel very very bad about agreeing with you in the west i have the warriors now listen this defense of luca is absolutely terrifying i really don't know how they're gonna stop him But what we saw across the playoffs is that the Mavs are so dependent on other people showing up. And I don't know that I have the faith in Dinwiddie and Brunson. They had games in just the last series where they weren't there. They they weren't 
you know, offering up enough for the Mavs to win. It was a one-man show. And I think if you look at the Warriors, they have way more weapons to hit on than a Suns team that ended up being basically Booker. Aiton didn't hold his own, and Chris Paul was terrible. So it's not that surprising that the Mavs were able to take four or five and beat a completely bereft Suns team. Warriors have a lot more to work with. Yeah, and part of the theme of that is that, uh, you know, Phoenix pooped the bed. I don't think the Warriors right. are going to poop the bed. There's just right. no, like, th- there's too much offensive Even firepower Even though they just there. did the other night in that one game, I mean, but then they recovered. Uh, just one time. It can happen one time. It's not going to happen through a whole series. We agree on both games. Should oh, we, like, no! have a tiebreaker? Should we have, like, how many games? You guys could do either do the games or you could uh, you could figure out who's going to win the newly established Magic Johnson and Larry Bird trophies in the Eastern Ooh. Western Conference. Oh, that's okay. a hell of a tease. Uh, I'm going to need some time to simmer on that. I'm going to okay, marinate. We'll, on that. we'll talk about we've it got, We've got shows all week. So unlike last week, I will not be drinking every night. Every other night, maybe. I'm, I haven't decided yet how I'm going to uh, spend my free time. I, w- I will be, but we still have shows. So that's we'll just right. see where things Okay, go. before the show or after? Uh, boy, coffee's delicious. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.